Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world. With Ani Avedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three parts spirit, one part rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good, hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to everyone out there. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of yummy cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini. The show that tries to sort out what's true, dun, 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 what's woo, dun, 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 and what gets flushed down the loo in today's many lows but very few highs. Snowflakes are crushed under an avalanche of lies. Huzzah for the Blade Runners in old London town. It's time for the people to dismantle the crown. Self-serving, we are done rehearsing. Stop laundering money and start reimbursing. Weird, wacky little world. As always, we try to do this with as much dignity and decorum as can be mustered on any given day. As always, we are only marginally successful. But we are on a bound to give it our best shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love the odd shot now and then. Yes, we do. In fact, let me have a sip of today's drinky poo and see if it's a winner or a sinner. Hold on, folks. Don't go away. Sipping is happening. Mmm. Mmm. Ooh, I can go with that. I'm. Mm. Oh, that's a winner. That's a winner. Oh, I am fortified now. Darlings, if you're joining us for the very first time, a warm welcome to you. Be advised, this show is politically incorrect so as not to erode the intellect. Martini heads, we favor common sense, common courtesy and common decency. No one here is woke. We really don't hang with the death poke. And no one here will ever wear a face cloak because we are sovereign beings, manifestations of supreme cosmic intelligence. Our goal is to bring clarity with a goodly dose of hilarity. But we don't sugarcoat anything because the future of this great nation, the future of the entire world depends on we the people knowing the truth the often ugly truth behind the thin veneer we call civilization. So if you believe that mainstream news tells the truth, this is not the show for you. If you believe politicians work for the good of the people, this is not the show for you. And if you have sailed through the last four years or so without being in the least bit suspicious, 
Not only is this the wrong show for you, you need a mental health evaluation, my friend. We are at war, my darlings. Good versus evil. The lizards want to enslave us in their 15-minute cities and feed us bugs. They want to take away our homes, our cars, our gas ovens, our barbecues, our ceiling fans, our food, our beer, our beer, and our ability to travel freely to get that beer. I will not hang with that. I will die for that. I've lost track, darlings. Every day is a new dive into the realm of the ridiculous. There are people out there. Now, take a seat, because this is true. There are people out there who believe Biden is doing a good job. There are people out there who believe Biden is actually Biden. These people, God bless them, have lost their minds. They are lost in the corridors of the matrix of malevolence. They have given their lives to Big Brother. Weakness is strength, they cry. Poison is healthy. Oh, please, let me donate all my hard-earned cash to the money laundering operation we know as foreign aid. Oh, yes, they say, what a virtuous citizen I am. Let me don the mask of conformity to prove what a pliable peon I am. Who needs oxygen? Let me inject myself with bioweapons to prove my loyalty to the state. Who needs an immune system? What can I possibly lose? Except perhaps my sanity and my life. Well, if anyone out there is still listening, on today's show we have quack questions answers and comments which is the meat of our show if you're a vegetarian it is the tofu of our show we also have a trivia quiz and i've never done that before but we have a trivia quiz because i am appalled appalled i tell you at the lack of general knowledge on display whenever i converse with teenagers or young adults by special request also multiple special requests we will bring back taro a go-go for this one episode this one episode and i will do a three-card pick for america for the next three months and gosh i hope that goes well i'm going to try to fit in the cryptic mystic i failed miserably on the last show because i don't know where this hour goes it feels like five minutes i'll probably fail miserably on this show too but just in case i don't i thought i'd put it out there so let's get on with the show but before we do, my darlings, let's take a moment to thank the people who make intergalactic distribution of this show possible. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Folks, when all hells are popping and you need to do some woo-woo shopping, mysticalwares.com is the bomb. Big or small, they have it all, and they are such lovely people, you'll have a ball. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Mysticalwares.com. Online or on location, you'll be sure to give them a standing ovation. Huzzah for Mystical Wares. Huzzah. All right, darlings, quack. If you would like the opportunity to influence public opinion by sharing the contents of your magnificent minds on this intergalactically acclaimed show, send your musings to me. Arnie at arnieavidician.com or by snail mail to Cosmic Arnie, P.O. Box 
P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, United States of America. And don't forget to let me know if and how you wish to be identified, or I shall refer to you as omit personal details. So let's go ahead and shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity and see what pops out. Shaky, shaky, give it all a good little stir here. Maybe a, a, a quick little sip of this drinky poo. It's rather growing on me. Hold on. Mm. Okay, I need to go slow with those because I'm tiddled by the end of the show, darlings. Tiddled, I tell you. What do I have? Our first missive is from Jake in Ealing, Greater London. Jake, I used to live in Ealing. I did, on the Gunnersbury Avenue, down the road from Ealing Common before you got to the Acton Parade. Oh, memories. Anyway, Jake says, I found you on Bitchute. I think, you know, I'm sorry if you don't have that accent, but, you know, it's a lovely London accent. I found you on Bitchute. When are they going to release Julian Assange? And that is the entirety of Jake's um, intellectual missive here. Well, Jake, they, as in the establishment, are never going to release the man who exposed their filth, are they? So we have to wait for the white hats and Big Daddy T to take over. And I'm sure once that happens, we will finally get Assange out double quick time. And I do hope that's soon. I hope it's soon because Belmarsh is a shit place. And I will be so happy to see some of the scum that pass themselves off as people's representatives swap places with Assange. But until that happens, Jake, keep writing to your member of parliament and spreading awareness wherever and whenever you are able. So I want to thank you for this letter. It makes me happy to know that the peeps back in the UK listen to the show, which is available on Cosmic Reality Radio platform, of course, and on multiple other platforms. So Jake's listening on BitChute because that is the English version of YouTube and they do not censor me. YouTube censor me. Naughty YouTube. Smacky on the body to you. All right. What else is in the fishbowl? This is from Ronnie. R-O-N-N-I-E, who lives and works in Monroe, Alabama. And Ronnie asks, where do you people get these questions from? Ronnie asks, is it true that Romans ate goat excrement? I'm asking because you grew up in London, Arnie, and you would know more about Romans than Americans do. Okay, can't argue with that. My friend Myra shared this odd tidbit with me. She is an avid history fan, but she also smokes a lot of Mary Jane, so I can't be sure. I see we have amateur historians there uh, doing bongs and um, researching Romans. What fun. Um, all right. I'm not exactly an expert on Roman history, but I did grow up in the UK. I spent the first 31 years of my life there, and the Romans did dominate Britain from, <clears throat> God, when did Claudius march in there? 43 Common Era, I think, and it was 410 Common Era when Honorius withdrew uh, the Roman imperial authority. Goat excrement, um, did the Romans use it and eat it, or is your friend just stoned out of her head? Actually, they did. I remember this from history class, Pliny the Elder, that, that's how old I am, 
Pliny the Elder taught me history. Um, so Pliny the Elder wrote that Romans used goat excrement as an antiseptic for cuts and scrapes. And he said that the best quality goat poo should be gathered in spring and then dried. But in a pinch, if you had an emergency, fresh goat poo would work. Well, that, that's an attractive image. Um, but it's not the only way, I think, that the Romans used goat dung. Because their charioteers drank it for bursts of energy. And as far as we know, they boiled it in vinegar. And then, you know, had a lovely, refreshing, vinegary poo-poo drink. And sometimes they, if they had the good stuff that they'd already ground, they would grind that into fine powder and mix it into other drinks on the go. So whenever they were tired, um, they, they had a little boost and they'd go, Marius, uh, set me up with another round of goat poo. Um, the, the Romans were very good at using resources, not just plundering resources. According to Pliny, it wasn't just a poor man's drink, this goat poo. Uh, Emperor Nero loved it. Then again, he was mad, wasn't he? Um, hmm. But then again, Romans, they whitened their teeth with urine. And they also did their laundry in urine. Why would you wash your clothes in pee? Well, ammonia is in urine and it whitens sheets. So the togas, which were, if you were over 15, you wore the toga virilis, not a tunic. And the toga virilis is all white. It, it, you, know, you look at Romans walking around with their white togas. They look like laundry walking. It's very odd. So um, that's what happened. So they're all these white togas and they would wash them in urine and hopefully rinse them afterwards. Something else Romans were very fond of uh, were their penises. Now, I'm not being funny. And uh, Rome was a patriarchy and the penis was all powerful. Now, I remember a trip I took to Pompeii some years ago. We saw many carvings of penises on walls, on roads, on pavements. And our guide, who was a very handsome Roman gentleman who probably had a magnificent penis, told us that some of those markings were directions to the local house of Nuki. But it was not uncommon to carve penises for good luck. Let me rephrase that. Roman men did not mutilate their penises by carving them. Uh, images of penises were carved here and there for good luck, especially on dangerous travel routes. And archaeologists have found multiple copper penis amulets um, uh, made especially to be worn on necklaces for, for good luck. Now, people commonly believe that the word testimony comes from testes, as in testicles, as in Romans would place their hands on their privates when taking an oath. Uh, that's how important their, their their privates were. But, you know, I've spoken to a few historians in my time and they, they don't hang with that. What other Roman eccentricities do I remember? Oh, as far as we know, the first person to engage in mooning, you know, exposing one's buttocks to show contempt or to provoke a reaction, was a Roman soldier during a riot in Jerusalem during Passover, a very holy time for Jews. Um, he, he probably had one of those goat drinks before he did that. So the Romans were there to keep peace, but one soldier decided to mock the Jews. And in the words of Josephus, which I will probably paraphrase incorrectly, um, the soldier lifted up the back of his garments, turned his face away, and with his bottom to them, crouched in a shameless way. 
and released at them a foul-smelling sound where they were offering sacrifice. So he farted and showed his ass to Jews during Passover, which is incredibly disrespectful, naughty Roman. And of course the Jews were furious and they demanded that the soldier be punished, but it got out of hand. So they started hurtling rocks at the Roman soldiers. And if you throw things at Roman soldiers, they are going to throw stuff back at you. So there was a full on riot. It broke out in Jerusalem. And what did we get out of this? Well, mooning became a thing. And is the world a better place for it? I think so. Thank you um, for that question. Please, people, don't go around gathering goat poo and mixing it into vinegar and drinking it. You're not Romans, okay? It just does not work for Americans. Let's take another one. And this is a postcard from somebody called Chunky Cat. Oh, <laughs> Chunky Cat is either from San Antonio, Texas, or is vacationing there. And Chunky Cat says, when Trump is back in charge, who is your pick for VP? Ooh, I think I've been asked this before many times, and I think I keep changing my mind. Off the bat, RFK, if he'll take it, if not Carrie Lake, because I want the people who did not back down. We should have Tom Petty, really, RIP. You know, I want the true patriots who understand America's purpose on this earth. I want the do or die people, because that's what it takes to make America think again. That's what it takes to make America great again. That is what it takes to make America happy again. So let's get on with it, please, White Hats because this puppet administration is a joke, except it's not funny. No one's laughing, except Kamala Harris, who is delusional and, in my opinion, in very poor mental health. She giggles, she wiggles. You know, the lights are on, but nobody's home. That woman has empty head syndrome. Now, I was not born an American citizen. I became one. Do you think they'll let me be a VP? No, maybe not. I am going to write to Trump, though, when he's back in and ask if he wants a shaman in his White House. It would be the honor of my life to serve this country in the White House as a spiritual counselor. So thank you, Chonky Cat. Um, let's take another question. And this is from Omit Personal Details, who says, you have often said, and I quote, religion is a halfway house we should have moved away from years ago. On what do you base that assumption? Ooh, I can just hear how you're feeling behind that. Hang on, let me take a drink. Mm. Mm. All right, um, omit. On what do I base that assumption? I base it on the state of the world thus far. Well, that was an easy one. Uh, what else is in the fishbowl? Let's have a little shuffle and see what pops out. Mm. Oh, let's do this one. This is from Belinda in San Diego, and I think we've heard from you before. Belinda says, is there actual black magic behind the evil we encounter today? I understand the deep state machinery and how it works, but behind it all at the very top, are there wizards performing black magic? How do people of faith fight against it? These people are to be feared, surely. How do we fight their group thinking? Is religion enough? Belinda, Belinda, I despair. Why would you write this? First of all, wizards, no. Warlocks, yes. Warlocks are not, as people think, male witches. Um, warlocks are people who have broken the rules of white magic and have been banished from white magic communities and now use their skills to harm mankind to serve the darkness. So the people we call the cabal, the establishment, the Illuminati, 
They don't worship God and creator. They worship Lucifer, the fallen archangel. And I'm not going to go into a spiel about that because I've covered Lucifer and how he fell so many times in my podcasts. But every act of mass murder, war, 9-11, the COVID bioweapon, you know, MK Ultra programs, these are all sacrifices to the Dark Lord. That's black magic. And the full extent of the black magic is only now being revealed. All those children who end up in orphanages with no one to advocate for them, um, where do you think they end up? What do you think happens to them? All those people locked up in mental facilities, state mental facilities, the ones with no one to advocate for them, what do you think happens to them? Dark Luciferian rituals take place daily in many parts of the world. And I think you can't deny that anymore out there because it's being exposed. And so it's very important that we engage daily in light rituals to counteract that daily prayer, daily affirmation of our divine connection, our true nature. Because what is magic if everything's an illusion? Magic is focused intention accompanied by a series of protocols. It can be black, it can be white, it can be pink and tie-dye. But from the Kabbalah's point of view, it's all designed to be big and black and scary. But if we sit down for a minute and think about it from a higher vantage point, darkness is an absence of light. These people have cut themselves off from the one true light and they're scurrying about like rats in the dark, making up scary illusions designed to make us cower in fear and do their bidding. And yes, they do commit atrocities, but they do so with our permission because we choose to cower in fear before them, which in turn means we do not understand or love the one true light as much as they understand and fear their dark Lord. Our fear feeds them. If we all turned our backs on them and did as we pleased, this would be over within a month. So don't tell me you are a person of faith and then tell me you fear the cabal. You either believe in your God as an omnipotent being or you don't. There is absolutely no in between. You either believe God is greater than the sum total of all its creations or you don't. And if you don't, then you don't understand the meaning of godhood. And if you don't understand the meaning of godhood, you don't understand life, the universe, co-creation, any of it. Religion is as much groupthink as anything else. And in my opinion, there can be no such thing as groupthink unless we disown our minds and follow another's. Perception is unique to the individualized soul. Now, one of my heroes, um, Ayn Rand, described it perfectly. And she said something along the lines of, a collective mind does not exist. It is merely the sum of endless numbers of individual minds. If we have an endless number of individual minds who are weak, meek, submissive and impotent, who renounce their creative supremacy for the sake of the whole and accept humbly the whole's verdict, we don't get a collective superbrain. We get only the weak, meek, submissive and impotent collective mind. So each and every one of us, end quote, each and every one of us, we need to stand up straight and look in the mirror and say, who am I? What am I doing here? What do I want from this life? What do I have to offer this world? 
Is life supposed to be a cosmic space adventure? If it is, why have I co-created a matrix of mayhem? To thine own self be true. Don't support organizations that support the dark agenda. Don't support companies that insist you be masked or jabbed or restricted in any way. Starve the ones who wish to squash your sovereignty. Stop feeding the pig. Stop feeding the establishment and make plans to become as self-sufficient as possible in every way. If you can think for yourself and feed yourself, you are way ahead of the army of useful idiots serving the dark side. And you say, is religion enough? No, darling, of course not. Clearly not. Look around you. If religion was enough, we wouldn't have it. Okay, I think we'll leave it there for quack for this show. I want to thank everyone who wrote in because really wouldn't have much of a show without you. It's good to know people are actually listening in and taking the time to write in. I appreciate it. We all appreciate it. Keep those letters coming and keep me on my toes. And now, darlings, without further ado, it's tarot a go go a little what the heck with our favorite tarot deck and today i'm going to shuffle the cards and pick three to five cards as a snapshot of potential for the rest of the year now darlings as somebody who teaches tarot for self-development go to my website a reminder that tarot cards do not tell the future only you can decide your future and you do that by correctly processing your thoughts, your reactions, and your actions to any given situation. Ta-da! Now I'm going to shuffle the cards. Shuffling the cards. And I'm going to cut them. And put them back together again. And I'm picking... I'll, I'll pick five cards. What the heck? And the very first card is the Fool. Well, we all know what the Fool is. The Fool is a new beginning. We're starting again. Now, I know that uh, the poop is going to hit the pavement. Um, it's hitting the pavement now. But uh, this means that some very important changes have already been made. So when I get the the fool for the very first card for what's going to happen in the next three months. My impression is that it's, it's a done deal. Don't stop fighting the man, by the way, but it's a done deal. On a higher level, we have started the new dimensional thought process. So we are on a new phase of our lives, um, many new opportunities. Um, uh, we've taken risks. And actually, when the fool comes up, feel free to take a risk, because I always get the impression that uh, it will go very, very well for you. So I like that, the new beginning. Card number two is the Four of Swords. Four of Swords is, is, is a tomb, but don't worry. No one's going to die. Um, well, none of the good people are going to die. This is about recharging our batteries, really. This is about the need for rest, solitude, prayer, repose, that kind of thing. Um, we have been through hell and we're going to go through a little bit more hell. So it says, take the time to sit back, be open minded, absorb what just happened 
be open to different interpretations of what just happened. That's it. Rest, relax, nice and quiet, and figure out what the heck just happened to not just this country, but the entire world. Then we have the Ace of Cups. One of the most beautiful cards for me, because it's all about the heart and love, real love, not, you know, stupid pop song love. And this says to me that we are going to have a massive emotional renewal in this country. We really are going to go back to common sense, common decency. Um, you know, uh, we are going to go back and have abundance of understanding. A return to compassion. New beginnings. If we're having a global awakening, it, it stands to reason that we're all having individualized awakenings. It can't be any other way. My phone rings off the hook, you know, every so often. Um, and it's it's interesting because I'll get like 10, 15 phone calls in a week and everyone's going through something. It's always the same theme. And now people are calling and saying, I feel like my life is falling apart. But on the other hand, I feel fabulous about it. What's going on, Arnie? This is exactly it. If you have a deck of, of tarot cards, go and get the Ace of Cups. Look at it and feel the love that is coming from a rebirth. Aces are rebirths. They're the beginning, the seed card to a new way of living. Blessings of love and happiness and understanding. So huzzah for that. So we're going to do very, very well out of this, but I did pick two bonus cards. And bonus card number four is a beautiful card. It's the Ace of Pentacles. And generally that means good, solid financial, um, well, foundations. And this administration is bankrupting our nation. I know money doesn't exist, blah, 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 but we do use it and we do make it real. So once we get the good guys back in, the seed point of finances is going to be very firmly sown. And going forward, everything we touch will turn to gold. Um, I, I can put it a different way. It's the beginning of financial improvement for this country, and it can't really get any lower. And the very last card which is the Seven of Swords. Very interesting card, because I look at that and I think, you know, it's the card that people associate with, not covert activities really, but um, stealth. People stealing stuff and doing underhanded things. In fact, the actual card itself is uh, a chap um, and he's got a whole bunch of swords in his hand and he's obviously stolen them from the pavilions in the background and is looking behind his back going, ooh, I wonder if I can get away with this. So it means many things, insincerity, taking advantage, etc. But because this is such a positive reading and that is the bonus card, I'm going to say that that is the White Hats. The white hats that have done everything very, very quietly behind this. I sounded like Elmer Fudd there. Be very, very quiet. The, the white hat. This is a very strong drink. The white hats. They have done things quietly for years, honorably behind the scenes, taking the very long road to make sure that when history looks back on this era, 
There is no doubt as to who were the good guys and who were the bad guys. So as we wake up to what's happening, my darlings, great many people are going to feel duped, conned, um, pooped upon, because that's exactly what the cabal has done to us all. Let it go. Let it go. Understand that an awakening means that you have to have something to awaken from. You were conned. There's no need to feel humiliated. If you figure it out, just get on board, support the white hats, and get in line with whatever country you're living in and make that country the very best version of itself that it can be. So for Tarot or Gogo, a very positive reading. You never know what you're going to pick. So um, I was a little bit nervous there because I don't want to cheat anyone. I don't want to say, well, oh, no, that card isn't good, so I'm not going to read it. So people, buck up. It's all good. Now, a little sip of my drinky poo. And I want you all, if you are drinking people, um, moderate drinking people, this is called the 3M quiz. Now, I'm going to explain that. Let me have my drink. Mm. You need to go fix yourself either a Manhattan or a martini or a margarita. And just get that together now. And I'm going to do a general knowledge quiz of American history, 1600s, uh, 1700s, and the 1800s. And every time you get a question wrong or an answer wrong, you need to take a sip of your drink. I don't mean a shot. This isn't beer pong or whiskey pong or all those crazy games that American students play um, in university. A sip, okay? We're grown-ups. We can do this. So I'm going to give you a minute, and I'm going to be drinking while you go and make your cocktails. Mm. All right. Here we go. And I'm going to give you five seconds to answer. Um, there's plenty of time, really. It says Arnie, who can barely, uh, you know, remember what she had for lunch. Okay, here we go. We're going to start with American history, 1600s. Okay, technically it's colonial history, but it is America now, so, you know, just, just, just go with it. Question one. When did Christopher Columbus land in what would later become the United States? <laughs> he didn't. Most historians will agree that he landed in parts of Central and South America and some of the, you know, Caribbean islands. Question two. What is the oldest European founded city in the United States? That's St. Augustine in Florida. St. Augustine in Florida, which was founded in 1565 by Don Pedro Menendez de Aviles of España. Ole! Question three. Who was the first European to land in North America? <coughs> that was Leif Erikson. And he did that in the 10th century. He sailed from Norway and he landed somewhere on the coastal North American area and his settlement, he called it Vinland. 
Question four. What five countries formed the colonies that would later become part of the United States territory? Those would be England, France, the Netherlands, Russia, and Spain. Question five. What tribe was Pocahontas from? That would be the Powhatan tribal nation. Question six. Who did Pocahontas marry? She married John Rolfe, who was a tobacco planter. In fact, if I remember rightly, he was the first person to grow really good tobacco in Virginia, um, tobacco good enough to export. And he did this by bringing a strain of tobacco from Trinidad, which was sweeter um, tasting than the other tobaccos. Funny what little tidbits you remember from school. Moving on, question seven. What was the name of the first permanent English American colony? <coughs> that was Jamestown, Jamestown after King James I. Question eight. What year was the Jamestown settlement established? Sixteen oh seven. Question nine. Why did the pilgrims come to America? To start their own religious community because they were pissed off with the Protestant church in England. Question 10. What was the name of the pilgrim's ship? <coughs> and if you don't know that, shame on you. That was the Mayflower. When was that, 1620? It took them 10 weeks to get there and they landed somewhere Cape Cod area. And by all accounts, it was a really brutal, nasty little trip, um, very uncomfortable, but they made it, huzzah. Question 11, what year were the first enslaved Africans brought to American colonies? <coughs> 1619. 1619. And by the way, I'm sure you all know this, slavery was not invented in 1619 and slavery is not a white on black theme. Check your history. Question 12. How many people were killed in the Salem witch trials? Apparently 20 were executed for suspicion of witchcraft. Um, nobody was burned at the stake. They were hung. And I do believe five more died in jail and somebody was crushed. What a dreadful way to go. And the last in the 1600s category, fingers on buzzers, people. What ultimately ended the Salem witch trials? 
the colony's governor ordered an end to the trials after his own wife was accused of witchcraft. Ain't it always the way, people? Ain't it always the way? All right. <clears throat> um, you can tot up if you're sober or drunk. You'll know how many you got wrong. Now, we're moving on to the 1700s. Are you ready? Do you want to refresh your drinks for those of you who got it all wrong? I'll give you a quick minute. I'll have a drink of my own. Hold on. Mm. Okay, into the 1700s then. How do historians refer to the time period in the 1730s and 1740s well, when colonists began embracing secular rationalism over religion? Well, they called that the Great Awakening, something we're going through right now. Another question. With the proclamation line of 1763, the British forbade American colonists from settling west of which natural barrier? And that would be the Appalachian Mountains. And I believe that was because they wanted to protect the indigenous um, territories and the indigenous people. But it was very difficult for the white people to do trade with the Indians after that if they weren't allowed to expand beyond that. So not everybody was happy about that. Next question. How many people were killed in the Boston Massacre? Five. Five people were killed um, after British soldiers fired on a mob that was harassing them. I think it started off with like a one-on-one -on -one or one American or one colonial, uh, you know, saying something to a British soldier. And then it kind of got out of hand, as things do. Uh, Boston Massacre, that was circa 1770. Next question. What was the date of the Boston Tea Party? December 16th, 1773, when uh, some of the colonists, they uh, dressed up uh, as, uh, with poor impersonations of Native Americans and they dumped a shipment of tea into the Boston Harbor. Next question. What were the colonists protect, protesting when they you know, went for the Boston Tea Party? What were the colonists protesting with the Boston Tea Party? Tax, the Stamp Act, the Stamp Act, particularly. Am I tiddled? I shouldn't be tiddled this early in the show. The Stamp Act, a British tax on print materials such as stamps and newspapers. See, people, you know, you've got to take the libertarian route. Otherwise, they will tax you until you die. And then after you die, they'll get a medium to contact you about taxes that you haven't paid. Moving on. What city was the first capital of the United States? New York City. Boy, is New York City in a mess right now, hey? Wow. Okay, next question. 
When was the first American currency created? The Continental Congress began issuing paper money called Continentals after the Revolutionary War began in 1775. Next question. When was the Declaration of Independence signed? August the 2nd, 1776. Uh, now, the final draft, as we all know, was completed July the 4th, but it wasn't signed, you know, until later. Next question. Now, there's some debate about this, but uh, who do historians believe created the first American flag? Well. We all say Betsy Ross, because, you know, that's her legacy, isn't it? But some historians say different. They say perhaps um, it was the Continental Congress member named Francis Hopkinson. He may have been the true creator, and he, he did claim credit for it. And he even sent a bill to Congress for the design. Hmm. So let's ask another question. What was Hopkinson's fee for creating the flag? Whether or not he did, I don't know. But what was his fee for creating the flag? He asked for a quarter cask of wine. Well, I can't fault him for that. I think maybe if he really did, he would have asked for a whole cask of wine. So I'm going with Betsy Ross because I like her legacy. I'm going with that. When, however, if you said Hopkinson, you do get the, you know, you get the point. So you don't have to drink. Next question. When did the Revolutionary War end? September 3rd, 1783. You know, people think that we, you know, we had the war and everything and it was all 1776 and all the British just packed up and went away. They did not. It took a while to get those pesky little redcoats out of our country. Moving on, next question. What was the name of the treaty that ended the war? What was the name of the treaty that ended the war? And I'll give you a hint. Think croissants and chocolate eclairs. It was, of course, the Treaty of Paris. How many battles were fought during the American Revolution? We don't know exactly, but definitely, apparently, more than 230. Next question, what was the first American state? And that was, of course, Delaware, which became a state in December 1787. 
and it was settled by Swedes, not the vegetable, the, the people, the tall, blonde, blue-eyed people, um, as early as 1638. So I'm thinking that wherever you go in Delaware, you'll probably get a lovely plate of able skivers. And moving on, who was the first president to live in the White House? And that would have been John Adams. And I think it was in the last year of his pres presidency. Um, and it was called the President's House. And that was 1800. Next question. What founding father was credited with inventing bifocals? Come on, you know this one. The greatest inventor ever in America? Benjamin Franklin, our very own eccentric genius. How many of the original British colonies existed in America? How many original British colonies existed in America? What were the original? I don't like the way this question is phrased. What were the original? How many original colonies did we have? Thirteen, the thirteen original colonies. Lucky for some. Next question. What was the first governing document of the newly created United States, later replaced by the US Constitution? Articles of Confederation. The Articles of Confederation were adopted November 1777 at the Second Continental Congress. And the final question of the 1700s, where was the Constitutional Convention held? That was held in the place where they make the cream cheese, Philadelphia. And it was 1787, May through September. And I've got four questions here. And we'll carry on, you know, on, on the next podcast. But I want to go into the 1800s. So those of you who are not drunk, get ready. Here we go. Who started the Great Chicago Fire? No one knows, but they blamed it on a cow knocking over a lantern in a barn. Next question of the 1800s, who led the first land expedition to the Pacific coast? And that was, of course, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. I just read a very interesting book called Journals of Lewis and Clark um, by one Anthony Brand. And it's a sort of quickie version of their travels. Um, and if, if you don't want the full meal deal of, of reading through thousands of documents, it's a really good book, The Journals of Lewis and Clark by Anthony Brand, B-R-A-N-D-T. And the last question for today's quiz, who was the first president to declare war? And that was, of course, James Madison. So... Tot up your answers and uh, write to me and let me know how you did on that. And we're going to have, uh, you know, quizzes every four to six weeks just to, to keep our general knowledge up. So 
James Madison, who did he declare a war on? That would have been the 1812 war against Great Britain. Mm, interesting stuff. Well, my darlings, um, I just, I'll, I'll do this every so often. I just really believe we need to encourage parents and guardians to educate their children a little better than most are doing today. Now, I know we finally figured out they want to teach your kids really stupid stuff in public schools, state schools, etc. Um, and we've got a lot of backlash from parents who don't want their boys to come home and lob off their penises and, and, and you know, and that, that sort of thing. But um, I believe in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And I have dedicated my life to the restoration of the Republic. Um, but, you know, what we have now is a giant money laundering operation and a feeble minded weak-willed population dependent on the almighty state and the almighty state is a cesspool of corruption with only one agenda to stay in power and line its pockets with our hard-earned income and it's going to do that and keep doing that and confusing people and dividing people so people 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 you have to reclaim your minds Center your minds with the divine mind or with supreme cosmic intelligence. Choose your own descriptives. I don't care. But if you haven't figured out by now that being an American is not just about cheap beer and football games and, you know, blue jeans, we are here trying to save the world. America's sacred purpose, the libertarian dream to honor sovereignty and have millions of independent thinking sovereign souls then if you want to have a collective group mind that is based on sovereignty that's a whole different matter but what we have now darlings it's a poop fest so everyone go and poop out the rubbish in your minds come back to center and let's get this country back on track now do we have time for a little poem i think so let's give it a shot now as you know I was raised in England and there was a palpable level of disdain in many literary circles for colonial and American literature. And I never understood that, except to acknowledge how snobby some people can be after losing an empire. Because with the exception of the indigenous peoples, everybody who came to America came from England and Europe. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's who are you criticizing? People are just so terribly silly. And I want to share something with you written by one Anne Bradstreet, a Puritan. I know, I know, I don't give them a good rap, but I like Anne. And she was the most prominent of the early English poets of North America. And the first writer in England's North American colonies to be published. So she was born 1612, died 1762. She was born in the UK, but she married some bloke and they moved to America and she lived and she died in Massachusetts Bay Colony. Um, Andover is the town, I think. She never attended a formal school, but she received an excellent and well-rounded education from her father, one Mr. Thomas Dudley, who was well known to his friends as a devourer of books. I have great respect for devourers of books. And moved to America, um, as I said, after she married this chap, Simon Bradstreet, and remained in America until her transition into the next realm. Now, this is a love poem that she has written to her husband. In my line of work, we 
Well, let's just put it this way. People don't come and see me because they love their husbands or their wives. People come to see me because they want to figure out how to get rid of their husbands and wives or, you know, they always have problems. So to find a poem that is this beautiful, this simple, this lovely, this tender, it, it just tickles my sissy and it, it warms the cockles of my heart. And I hope that it will encourage you to go out and explore and read early American poetry and literature. To My Dear and Loving Husband by Anne Bradstreet. If ever two were one, then surely we. If ever man were loved by wife, then thee. If ever wife was happy in a man, compare with me, ye women, if you can. I prize thy love more than a whole mine of gold or all the riches that the East doth hold. My love is such that rivers cannot quench nor aught but love from thee give recompense. Thy love is such I can no way repay. The heavens reward thee manifold, I pray. Then while we live in love, let's so persevere that when we live no more, we may live ever. And Bradstreet, 1612, 1672, early American poet of note. Tender, loving, beautiful. Well, my darlings, I think we're coming close to the end of the show for today. I'm going to finish my drink. Um, even though I'm really quite tiddly, I did not expect to get this tiddly on this drink. Hold on. Mm. I mean, if you're tiddled, you might as well just go for it, you know. So now I've finished my drink, oh, and that always means the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it, because I always have a blast. Why wouldn't I have a blast? I connect with like-minded people all over the world. Today's real-life cocktail was, oh, wait for it, a modern concoction called the Ideal Martini, and here's how you make it. Three parts gin. Today I used Sipsmith Dry. One part dry vermouth. Today I used Carpano dry, which I like very much. Then a, a half a quarter, no, go for a half. Half a teaspoon of maraschino liqueur, which is not the juice from the cherries. It's an actual liqueur made by Luxardo, and it's an essential in any mixologist bar. One teaspoon fresh lemon juice and a lemon twist for dressing. Pour the liquid ingredients into a shaker over crack ice, shake it well, shaky, shaky, strain and pour into a chilled martini glass. Garnish with your lemon twist and enjoy because it's very, very yummy and I'm feeling really, really very silly right now. Now remember folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink one drink is all you need. I'm Annie, mad as the day is long, Avidician. This was a metaphysical martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Until we meet again, resist the new world order, support those who protect our borders, and above all, my darlings, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Ani Avdisian, the Mad Shaman.
production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you.